welcome to a special and kind of different edition of America Can We Talk. I'm Tebby Georgiatis, and this is my Thursday show for America Can We Talk. Normally on Thursdays, we have an in-studio audience, a live guest, and it's a great opportunity. Uh, but this time, this Thursday, uh, I will not be able to do that, so I'm offering a very special interview that I just completed, uh, and I want to share it with you today, but I want to give you a little bit of information about it before we go to it. The uh, couple I interviewed uh, is a gentleman named Pastor Brunson, Pastor Andrew Brunson, and his wife Noreen. And if you're thinking, I kind of know that name. Pastor Brunson was the Christian pastor who was in the country of Turkey. He and his wife moved to the country of Turkey as missionaries, established a Christian church in a small town called Izmir in Turkey, and for 23 years simply uh, planted the gospel and grew this Christian church in Izmir. After he'd been there in the country 23 years, uh, Pastor Brunson was arrested in 2016, in the year 2016, arrested by the Turkish authorities. And the gist of it was, uh, they really didn't have anything he'd done wrong, but they were made a series of accusations against him. And he ended up spending two years, two years in a Turkish prison. He was released, in fact, released through the great pressures and involvement of President Donald Trump and brought back to America uh, in 2018, and he is still here today. What happened over the weekend, this past weekend, was I had the opportunity to be at a dinner at which he was speaking. He and his wife spoke about their experience in Turkey, uh, what led to, what they believe led to their arrest, uh, and also what he's trying to do now. His story became really one of international fame, in part because Pastor Brunson uh, sought out the prayerful support of so many Christians around the world, and there were literally millions of Christians around the world praying for his safety and praying for his release. But the other reason I wanted to feature this interview today, I'm going to play the interview for you. We did this a couple of days ago in studio, and you'll hear it in just a moment. But the reason I want to do this and talk about this issue today is because I am aware, and I think many of you probably are also, there's a rising problem of Christian persecution in the world. Literally, Christian persecution, certainly in Islamic majority countries, which Turkey is, and many Islamic countries where uh, essentially the government and most of culture and society expects the citizens to follow Islam. That's one arena of problems and very unique to the fact of being in an Islamic majority country. But the really alarming thing that's happening is that there's Christian persecution beginning in other countries that do not have uh, Islamic majority, who are not driven by trying to force Islam on the people, but there's still a growing repression of Christianity. And I want to particularly talk to you before we turn to listen to the interview about what's happening in the country of Finland. And one reason it's really relevant this interview was that just prior to the day I had Pastor Brunson, Andrew Brunson, his wife Noreen, in studio for the interview, they had been in Finland to talk with this person, these two people who are being persecuted in Finland, basically over believing in what the Bible teaches. That is essentially the entire charge of wrongdoing against these two people. Uh, those two people in the country of Finland, which is, you know, Christian majority, but one is a woman uh, who's a member of government, an elected official named Paivi Rasanan. Her last name is Rasanan, and she has been uh, in Finland a member of the parliament for, for years. But she's a strong Christian. She's a member of parliament, Ravi, uh, excuse me, Pavi Rasanan, and also another individual named Bishop Juhana Pojala. Bishop Pojala, P-O-H-J-O-L-A. 
These two people, if you don't know about the story, are modern-day, truly, victims of Christian persecution in the country of Finland, which is normally viewed by people it is Christian majority. In fact, they actually have a state-affiliated Lutheran church in Finland. They actually have it. State-affiliated Lutheran church, uh, but this bishop, Pajola, is not part of the uh, state-sponsored Lutheran church. He's part of the independent Lutheran church. The reason they're being criminally prosecuted criminally prosecuted was for saying things in public in a tweet in an interview in public statements in which they advocate for the Christian view of marriage and Christian view of human intimacy as as the Bible spells out that is it in, in particular the uh, this woman this member of parliament Pavi Rasanam had put out a tweet directed actually at the, the uh, official Lutheran Church of Finland saying essentially, you know, how, why are you celebrating Gay Pride Day? That's inconsistent with the, um, with the teachings of the Bible. Now, let me just say, folks, she's entitled to think anything she wants. She, and she's not trying to force her will on them, but she's just expressing her opinion. Uh, she, she tweeted a picture of the Bible verse related to marriage, and she directed it at Finland's state church to criticize its co-sponsorship of a gay pride parade. So for that, for putting in a tweet that she is, you know, that she's asking why would the church be so strongly pushing a gay pride parade, she's being prosecuted, criminally prosecuted. Same with her friend, an ally, uh, Bishop Pajala. He's also made public statements and in public interviews, uh, been talking about his view that the Bible's view on marriage is the is true is the correct one should be followed both of them if convicted will face up to two years in prison to actually go to prison for saying what they think is the truth about what the bible teaches uh related to marriage and sexuality and the reason i think this case is so astounding i'll tell you there's been a lot of pushback internationally there have been pastors around the world uh trying to weigh in against finland there's an effort uh, within america legal scholars have asked our own U.S. government to sanction Finland's prosecutor general for prosecuting Christian, this Christian member of parliament over her biblical views of marriage. But, so I don't know how this case will come out. We'll probably talk about it when there is a resolution. But I want to just hone in on today, before you hear this wonderful interview with uh, Pastor Brunson and his wife, Noreen, just to think about the idea of how much our culture and the world has changed so that it's even possible in a country like Finland, viewed to be kind of in the ballpark of Western civilization, respect for individual freedom, respect for freedom of religion, respect for freedom of speech, why it could come about that these people could end up being criminally prosecuted. They didn't get in someone's face and taunt them. They didn't try to interfere with someone else's life. They simply spoke up for what they believed to be the truth about marriage. And I wanted, what we want to get around to thinking was, just think about in America. It's true in Finland and other countries as well. We have become censored by, controlled by, dictated by the thinking of many people who are advocates for the LGBTQ agenda. You have, in America, public school teachers losing their jobs for refusing to use the chosen pronoun of, of a child who claims he or she is transgender. You have people losing their jobs for not being willing to teach the gender, uh, gender identity, uh, gender shifting ideology that's being pushed in the public schools. 
It is the most ironic and 100% 80-degree twist on what used to be considered normal uh, freedom of belief, freedom to say what you think, freedom to believe what you think. We have, we have gotten to the point we mandate compliance with the speech the LGBTQ advocates make. We, we mandate to teachers that uh, the public compliance with that. In fact, some jurisdictions, New York City in particular, actually at one point contemplated, should they have a law making it kind of a regulatory violation if you don't honor the gender of someone once they've told you, I identify as whatever it is. They actually contemplated whether someone should get prosecuted, or at least get a fine of some kind for not honoring what someone claims their gender identity was. So we've allowed the LGBTQ agenda, the uh, gender uh, identity shifting, the, the, the uh, you know, gender fluidity movement to take over language and actually convince public administrations, public schools, universities around the country must honor what they say. And yet, and I understand I'm contrasting America with Finland, but these same things I'm describing to you happening in America, they're happening all over the world. We have allowed an agenda that says we decide what must be honored and you're going to honor it. But then someone who actually believes in the biblical worldview has a biblical worldview about marriage cannot speak without genuine risk of criminal prosecution. It's the most bizarre and contorted uh, twist on what we all used to understand in America and from the founding of America understood was the idea that actually people have individual freedom, individual uh, right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and other people don't get to censor them. After we listen to the interview, I'm gonna talk about a few cases pending in America today, but I wanna bring up the Finland case because it really involves, it brings to the fore how far the agenda has come in deciding what free speech really means and who has it. Christians don't have free speech. You don't have free speech. You can't say what you really think because then you might end up being uh, offending someone. That's part of the statute that they were, um, uh, they were charged under. I was trying to find very quickly. They were charged under some statute which basically has to do um, with the idea of people being um, told they can't, they're, they're, they're um, essentially offending someone else's sexual orientation or gender identity, these SOGI laws. They're offending someone else's uh, beliefs about themselves. And so, because those people have the right to that belief, you don't have the right to say your belief. It's very alarming. And there have been uh, some Americans speaking up on behalf of these uh, people being persecuted in Finland. And I don't, I meant to say persecuted, not prosecuted. This is persecution. This, if you say someone can't say what they believe based on the scriptures that they believe in, you are engaged in persecution. And you know, and then uh, switching over back to the uh, case of Turkey, which we're going to be hearing about in a moment from Pastor Brunson, in, in Islamic countries and in many countries in Western Europe, because of the influx of Islamic refugees, there have been more and more pushes against the legislature or pushes in the legislature to say that they ought to be protection of people who are offended by somebody else's religious beliefs. For example, we uh, had in the show years ago, uh, we had the woman uh, who's from Austria who was prosecuted, criminally prosecuted 
for saying true facts about Muhammad's life in public, giving speeches, trying to warn people in Austria about this massive Islamic influx of refugees. And she's saying to understand, this is what Muhammad did. This is what he taught. This is what he said. And these people are coming here. We have to stand up for ourselves, our Christian faith, our background. This woman's name is Elizabeth Savadich Wolf. She was criminally prosecuted for saying true facts, not getting in someone's face, not walking into a mosque and saying it, just talking in public life in Austria. And so I, I mentioned that case in Austria. I mentioned this case here in Finland. Religious freedom advocates around the world are watching these at, in instances and they're trying to galvanize and get together and stand behind these people. But the notion that the kind of broad cultural thought in the world was, is the notion that it's more enlightened, it's more wisdom, it's more uh, kind of morally superior, if you will, stand for and stand with people who want to silence Christian speech. It's really the Christians being silenced in, in all cases, and it is the people who are trying to stand up for Christianity or speak Christian views who are being persecuted. And it's a very dangerous trend in Western civilization, which you're about to hear in our interview uh, with, the, with Pastor Brunson, Pastor Andrew Brunson, his wife Noreen, happened in the country of Turkey. But it's the same kind of concept I urge you to think about in America, why we're so careful in America not to get ourselves to the point of Austria and what Finland's happening, not to get ourselves to the point where we are not able to express our Christian views. And so the point of it, what I'm saying in this introduction is, you wanna nip persecution in the bud. It's an incremental growth, incremental tolerance of silencing of Christians that's gotten us to where in Finland this prosecution is happening, in Austria, Elizabeth Sabatichwolf, and in Canada, we mentioned Pastor Pulowski uh, just a few days ago on the show, same kind of thing. We have to be in defense of Christian uh, freedom of religion for everyone, freedom of religion, but recognizing how easily it's being chipped away at and how the job of Christians in this world is to stand up and speak up for freedom of religion and freedom of speech for all people, including Christians. Here you go. Let's listen to my interview with Pastor Andrew Brunson and his wife, Noreen. I had the wonderful opportunity recently to meet someone whose name you might recognize. And in fact, it's a couple. You recognize both of their names. These people live in the country of Turkey, and they were the, uh, the wife briefly and the husband, uh, wife and husband were imprisoned in Turkey, to, and then the husband for two-year period in the country of Turkey, and this all came out of, or shortly after, the uh, coup in Turkey in 2016, and this is Pastor Brunson, Pastor Andrew Brunson, here and after Andrew, uh, and his wife Noreen. I had the great opportunity here in Dallas to hear them speak at a meeting, and then I was uh, very fortunate they're able to join me in the studio today. I want to have them join us and just talk about what the experience was like in Turkey, leading a church there, and then the experience of being arrested, well, the factors were that occurred, uh, what the Turkish government attempted to do. Um, I think these are all wonderful things, to, not just to understand historically, uh, but also understand the importance in any society of actual honoring of freedom of religion, actual honoring of the rule of law, and what can happen when you don't have those things. As two other kind of touch points to start with, I want to share with you some quick data about the country of Turkey. And just to start with, I'll tell you that according to the State Department, in 2020, there were a little over 84 million people in Turkey, uh, citizens in Turkey. Uh, roughly speaking, uh, they, they list out from the State Department the percentage of people who are Christian versus some other faith is overwhelmingly a Muslim country. 
And in fact, uh, the percentage of people who are Christian denomination, at least estimated by the State Department, 0.3, between 0.3 and 0.4%, not even half of 1%, according to the State Department. And one other just fact to throw in to, to talk about the culture of Turkey. So in Turkey, even this is the State Department's description, the Constitution defines the country as a secular state, provides for freedom of conscience, religious belief, and all of that. However, the presidency of religious affairs, it is a branch of the federal government, like we have a State Department, the presidency of religious affairs of the government of Turkey, Dianet, a state institution, governs and coordinates religious matters related to Islam. Its mandate is to promote and enable the practice of Sunni Islam. So very much of a, an effort to say, we, the country, the government, support uh, Islam uh, as our predominant religion. So we have this Christian pastor and his wife joining us. Welcome to the show, please, Noreen and Andrew Brunson. Hi there. Thank Hi. you. <laughs> so glad you could both be here. Well, I'm gonna guess about 100% of my audience has already heard your story in some degree, that you were uh, became an international story of what occurred with you in Turkey and your arrest in October 2016. I want to go back a little bit before that and just talk about, ask you about, and when you, because you were in Turkey 23 years, is that right? 23, 23 years, years uh, before the arrest and then the two years of the arrest, 25 total. 25 total. Okay, and a very quick thing. I sent to Mr. Becker. I just want to have our audience show where this church was that they had. Uh, okay, so this is a map of Turkey. I love maps. Okay, so you can see IZMIR, Izmir. West side of the country, Turkey, if you're looking, uh, if you do that second map I, I sent you, it shows a little bit um, coming back out where, uh, how close, yeah, you can see Greece uh, just above it to the left. So you're really far from the capital, Ankara, and you're fairly far, you're like seven hour drive or something like that. Seven, eight hours. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're also from Istanbul, you're same. how far? About the same amount. Okay. So it's a little bit remote, right, Izmir? Well, it's, a, it's actually a city of four million people. It's so. the third largest city. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it's ancient Smyrna. For those who are familiar with the Bible, oh my it's ancient gosh. Smyrna. Okay, mm -hmm. well, I know Smyrna. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So what I want to talk about is just to start with was so when you first went to Turkey, so you know over 25 years ago, was it dangerous to start a Christian church, or was that was it acceptable to the uh, to the government of Turkey to do that at that time? Uh, it's not dangerous for Westerners to be there, for Christians to be there, but if you're involved in a public ministry, then the risk level goes up. So once we started to get involved in church plants after we'd been there for about seven or eight years, uh, we were involved in maybe six different church plants with various teams that worked with us. And because of that public ministry, then there were bomb threats, there were death threats. A gunman attacked our church once and shot at me. Uh, so, so there is more of a risk uh, if, you're, if you're doing public ministry. The Turks have this idea that a Turk is a Muslim. They think an American is a Christian automatically, and a Turk is a Muslim. So, you know, if we're practicing our own faith, that's okay. But if we are uh, if inviting others to join or just, you know, sharing the gospel with those who are interested, that's when it becomes more sensitive. So the point is, if we're, if we're talking about Jesus with Muslims and inviting them to follow Jesus, that's when the reaction comes. And the reaction comes from the local mosque, from the government, from police, who, who reacts? Well, the government is, uh, it puts up some barriers. They, they, there is some harassment, but it's really more from the society, from the culture. If someone becomes, if a Turk becomes a follower of Jesus, then the family may well uh, put, disown them, put pressure on them, kick them out of the house. The, the, uh, uh, 
the surrounding people, the society is going to put the pressure on for the most part. Could lose their job, could that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I honestly, I'll commend you just the bravery to go over to a place like Turkey and, and spread the gospel is a, it's a wonderful thing. Okay, so I want to just start with, so you, the general population in Turkey, is that about right with the State Department numbers? Mm -hmm. Tiny percentage of Christians, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so while you're over there, you're uh, doing your uh, church planting, you eventually settled, and is this right, in one particular area, Izmar, where your church was, how long was that kind of your main, your, your main focus? Since the end of 2000, we were in Izmir. So about 17, 18 mm -hmm. years we stayed there. Okay, so you're going along, you're spreading the gospel. I mean, God bless you for doing that. Um, you had at one point, October, 2016, if you would just tell the story, why you even ended up going to the police, what you, I know you were sending something about a visa renewal. Just tell the story, what happened, your first arrested, if you would. So we, we qualified for a long-term residence permit by that time. And we went, uh, they called us into the police station. We thought that they were going to give us our permits, which we had applied for months before. When we showed up at the police station, they said, there's actually an order to deport you. So we're going to arrest you. They didn't have to arrest us in order to deport us. Often they will uh, say, you have 15 days to wind up your affairs and get out of the country. But with us, they arrested us immediately and held us for deportation. Uh, but uh, when they were checking us into the deportation center, uh, the official received a phone call and then he circled uh, terrorism as the reason to hold us. And Noreen immediately thought, there's something I thought there was something here. wrong going on. Yeah. yeah. So then they held us for two weeks there. Uh, they cut us off from uh, the American consul came to visit. They wouldn't let him in. The lawyer couldn't get in. They just complete cut off silence. And then they suddenly released Noreen and they transferred me in the middle of the night to a different center. And that began my solo trip through the justice system there. And I was held for two years. I'm going to talk about those two years. I do want to put a little historical context. Interestingly, so in the country of Turkey in 2016, this is occurring in October of 2016, July of 2016, yep. there had been a coup. Now, I'll just tell you as an aside, several serious thinkers about Turkey have often have contemplated or at least questioned whether the coup, who was really behind mm -hmm. it, whether the government yes. just used the appearance of a coup to mm -hmm. crack down their enemies, yeah. whatever it was, there, was a report, there were reports of a coup against the incumbent government. And that was in July. And so there were events, uh, big events, you know, uh, of, and police cracking down mm -hmm. on people in Ankara and Istanbul. Did things like that happen in Izmar? Did they have they have those kind of public parts of this, this coup occur there? It affected the whole country. And uh, the, the president of Turkey, President Erdogan, after the coup, he said, this coup was a gift from God because yeah. it gave opportunity to advance uh, the agenda he has. To round up all the usual suspects, yes. you were going to say something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we there were things from all part of the countries. They were arresting people. They've kind of gone through purging all throughout the country, to be honest. Purging people who may not support Erdogan. Who they say were part of this movement, the They're Gulenist people, movement. People who are part of the Gulenist movement, people who are political opponents. And they hold now, them, they say that this was the group, the primary group behind the coup. So anybody associated with that is being rounded up and it still continues to this day. Now at the beginning, uh, I think the U.S. consulate, the U.S. embassy in, in Turkey thought that maybe we had just been rounded up by mistake. Uh, that's not the case. And they uh, came to that viewpoint eventually. But I think it was very targeted. 
when they went after us. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that. I do it. Just to be clear, you were not involved in the coup. You no. were not orchestrating no. the coup. <laughs> I wasn't even in the country. He was on his way. I mean, when they look at our, our phone text to each other, you know, I'm saying, you know, we're wondering, can he get out of the country with all that's going on? I mean, we had nothing to do with it. No, we were surprised. But I was accused of being a spy, of being a special ops officer from the U.S. with a lot of other officers under me plotting to, you know, overthrow the country of uh, being involved with terror groups and helping to organize a coup. They accused me of many things. And None also, of which was true. Please go ahead. None of which was true. Uh, you also mentioned earlier that, uh, before we came on air, that prior to this date, when you were uh, brought in, there were other people, other Christian pastors who'd been deported. Just briefly talk about that. Who, who, I mean, who were these people and why were they deported? Well, they started to, they deported a friend of ours who had a similar profile, someone who had worked with refugees. You know, the civil war in Syria, a lot of Syrians came into Turkey. And so uh, a number of us tried to help them and uh, physically in some way and their, in their time of their humanitarian aid, aid, but also, you know, to, to share about Jesus with them. So uh, a, a friend who had a similar profile was running a Turkish church and also reaching refugees was banned from the country. We were arrested until we would be deported. And then right after I was arrested, another friend with a similar profile was banned from the country. So I think they actually did intend to uh, deport us because they didn't like the work we were doing. This was an opportunity for them to do it. And then someone high up decided to hold on to us and make an example of us. Just a small thing. The reason that the work with refugees was a little bit sensitive is those who came from Syria into Turkey with the, what was going on happened to be Kurds. And that's that's oh. more sensitive in Turkey. We didn't care. We helped everybody, you know, whatever the background. But it just uh, was more sensitive to the Turkish government. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The Kurds are not popular there. OK, so you this arrest happens. Noreen is released. You're still in there and you're transferred to a different prison. So you, you start a two year journey uh, of being in prison. I want to talk. What are the various charges that they eventually came around to or accusations they made against you. You told me before we came on about a variety of them. So run so through those. At first, they were just trying to make something stick to give a, a reason as their inquiries are coming from the U.S., uh, from the government. Why are you holding this man? So they said, well, human trafficking. Uh, well, he went into Syria and was fighting with a, you know, a terror group there. <laughs> or he was supporting the Gulenist group, who are the ones that the Turkish government accuses of being behind the coup. He went to one of their conferences. He said good things about them. He uh, insulted Turkey, j just different things. And they would throw these things out and they wouldn't stick because there's no evidence. Eventually, they officially charged me with uh, being part of the Gulen group, which is an Islamist movement. Why would I, as a pastor, be involved with an Islamist group uh, of supporting uh, the PKK, which is a, a Kurdish uh, separatist group. And uh, eventually they accused me of helping to plan the coup to try to overthrow the government. And so because of those charges of, of the coup attempt, uh, they wanted to give me three life sentences in solitary confinement with no possibility of parole. So at that point, you know, very serious charges against me. And they knew it wasn't true. All of this was fabricated. They were uh, trying to uh, make my case, uh, I don't know, intensify the charges, make it a really big thing uh, to put pressure on the U.S. government. One very frustrating thing to us as we look through the court papers when we finally got them because the, the uh, file was sealed. So our attorney couldn't see anything of what was in there. But when we finally had access, oh, two years down, the, 
year and a half down the road, we realized that he had been held uh, in prison on the word, for months on the word of one secret witness. No evidence whatsoever. So this whole thing about secret witnesses and is just, uh, you know, imagine how far that can go. You don't like someone else at your workplace. You go and say something about but, them. But right? the government witness. was using that. It's not like the government said, well, there's a secret witness. Right. We have to arrest right. Brunson and hold him. No, they actually brought the witness in and they suggested did. that he give this testimony. Which was so also in the papers, Because it was yeah. all politically driven, it was really just a, a show trial. Uh, all the time, the Turkish government would, they would have very high officials, their, their uh, foreign minister, the secretary of state, uh, get up and say publicly, uh, you know, Brunson is a terrorist. We have all the files on him, and this is a normal judicial process. How dare the United States insult Turkey by asking for his release? You know, we, are, we have an independent judicial system. At the same time, those officials we knew behind the scenes are making all kinds of demands from the U.S. You know, President Trump at one point said, uh, ask for something I can give you, because <laughs> they had a very long ask list. Do you, what was on that list? And rough idea? Are you just talking about aid or you're talking about? Uh, there were a number of things on it. Some of the things were like to exchange me with uh, Gulen, who uh, is living in Pennsylvania. Yep. And uh, another thing was for them to drop uh, a case against a Turkish state bank, which is going to be billions and billions of dollars in fines, probably. And for Trump to kind of dismiss that case. So you were actually a valuable asset in the possession of the Turkish government, and they were figuring before we let this guy go, we try to get as much as we can. They raised him up to that position because we were no one. Yeah, we it wasn't just, valuable you know. to begin with. <laughs> they just... But they brought him up to that position. And honestly, because I think because Christians were praying, because they were contacting their officials, because this was putting pressure on the State, uh, State Department, eventually it made its way up to the president. I guess there was the idea, wow, President Trump is asking for his release. We can he's worth something, maybe. Yeah, well, I do want to touch on that. Uh, there, this, I remember your story, obviously. In fact, I talked about it when the show was still on Salem Radio. I talked about it when it, while it was occurring. There is a, um, just a, a beautiful, powerful thing that emerged around the world, which was people, the story spread, and just cr Christians around the world, it, not just America, but around the world realizing this is just baseless and so profoundly unjust. I, I just, that, that has to be so gratifying to you that even during it, people were saying, you know, we want to help, we're sending yeah. letters and sure. whatever they're doing. Sure. But they're praying to, for, sure. for, for God's, you know, to, to adjust this, to fix this, to wrong, right this wrong. Yeah. It had to be tremendously. Very know. encouraging. Uh, a church historian has told me that this was an unprecedented prayer movement focused on one person. So in living memory, there has not been a movement like this that went to so many countries and involved so many people praying for one person. So I think God was so involved in this. I mean, the Turkish government, they had their own motives to hold me and for arresting me, and, uh, but God was very much involved and had his own agenda. Absolutely. I just have to say for two years, and I would love if you just briefly tell about the kind of circumstances in which you were in prison. There was a very crowded cell, I believe, at one point. These quickly describe the, the way in which you were imprisoned? So the first stage, I'm in solitary confinement, and that, that was very, very difficult. If you want to break someone, right. isolate and sleep deprivation. And the fear and the adrenaline kept me from sleep, and uh, I was isolated. So I began to break there. Then they uh, transferred me. Uh, it's interesting, you know, just the political side of this, that 17 senators had asked for my release. They wrote a letter to the president of Turkey. He received it. 
And his answer was to then put me into a high security prison, so much worse conditions. Uh, cell built for eight people. There were 22 of us crammed into it. You stay there 24 seven. So it's a very close quarters. Uh, throughout my entire time in prison, I was uh, the only Christian. And the only Christian I had contact with was Noreen when she was allowed to visit me. So uh, other than that, I was very isolated in my faith. And all of the people I was kept with were, were very committed Muslims. So uh, it, was, it was a very intense spiritual environment for me. Eventually, for my own protection, as the Turkish government started to uh, go big in the media with a lot of propaganda against me, uh, and what they were doing really was using me to uh, just let all of the, let loose the animus against Christians that there is in the country, uh, then they had to move me for my own protection to a maximum security prison. And that's where I spent the last 13 months or so. I was going to comment about being the only Christian. I mean, it is the most foundational thing when Christians are challenged to gather with their church members, their sure. friends, their families. It really is it's a very, it's a mentally manipulative environment. So it had to be challenging at times. I mean, challenging to your faith, challenging to your strength, to your health. Well, it was. And, and uh, the way I described my imprisonment is that the first year was uh, generally about me breaking down physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, and especially spiritually, since I was, I went into crisis with God. Yeah. And then the second year, there was a turnaround and there was a gradual rebuild. So God rebuilt my life during the second year. And I actually came out uh, stronger than when I went in. But that rebuilding was out of real brokenness. And out of like necessity. I mean, you just, you can't stay there at the broken part. You've got to, you know, and so I'm, so tell me about now, you, you say you emerge a different person than when you went in. I mean, it changes your prayer life. It changes how you see yourself in, in your relationship to God. What, how did it change you? Well, I think one of the things that God was doing that relates to what, you know, this show is about is that God allowed me to break repeatedly, thoroughly, uh, because to rebuild, I had to learn some different mentality, way of thinking and some disciplines that helped me to strengthen my heart so that I could stand under pressure. And I think one of the purposes God had in this was that uh, I, as a weak person, uh, learn to stand so that I can encourage other weak people uh, as they come under pressure so that they can stand. And I think this is what's coming to the States. I'm, uh, we are still focused uh, through our ministry. Uh, our main goal is to talk to G uh, about Jesus to Muslims. We still want to do that. And that's what we're focused on. But another assignment we, we feel from God is to help prepare people in the United States for the pressure that we think is coming. I do want to get to that. While he was in prison, you did have the opportunity to visit with him. How often and, and how, I mean, how did that work out? How did you get to visit him? Was it through a glass window or? It was, yeah. So uh, when he was put in actual prison, I found out, I went immediately to try to find where, where he was. And I found out that uh, he's a foreigner accused of terrorism, therefore has no right to any visits. Ah. Except by special permission from the Ministry of Justice in the capital city. And so I wrote and applied for that, sent in all my paperwork. And it turned out that had to be done for every single visit. So each cell has a time at a day where they can have a visit if they have the permission. Um, and if I, my permission came in, I could have a visit with him once a week. But I so, never yes, knew if it was, was going to happen We or didn't not. know if the permission would come through in time. There was a real timing issue. And yes, it was uh, in the first place with 
you know, glass on the phone. They're listening to everything. We know we're not saying anything bad, but you're just trying to think, how will they use this? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. our letters to each other were confiscated. They said we're writing in code. I mean, it was just very difficult in the beginning. You're trying to be very guarded. Once every two months, we could be in the same room. Um, and that's when we would just hug the whole time. And that's when I could just whisper in his ear some, you know, developments, what I thought was happening on his behalf. Um, you're but very reporting. difficult. Yeah, I'm certainly reporting that you, there's a, just a prayer movement around the world to help yep. him. Yes. Yeah. So huge. Okay. So uh, one last thing. So back to your um, episode over there. So you were eventually, there was a trial, so to speak, and you were convicted of something. And then the same day, the judge said, in fact, I'm sorry, you were convicted of terrorism? So I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I had four different sessions. The trial sessions in Turkey can be separated by months. So a, a trial can go on for years. Political uh, trial. Yes, political trial. So uh, in my case, we arrived at the four, what became my final session, uh, the fourth trial session, and they moved to convict me. They convicted me of supporting terror groups. They didn't say which ones, <laughs> but supporting terror. They sentenced me to prison, reduced my sentence, released me suddenly, and said, you can appeal the sentence, and while it's on appeal, you can leave the country. And so really, it was a political solution. Well, it would rather... It was politically driven uh, through the court system. Uh, there was only one person who was making the decision about me. It wasn't the judge. It was the president of the, of the country. And so uh, they released me, and within one day, we were at the White House. But the roller coaster of emotions, if you can imagine, I'm standing there thinking, all these people praying for me, all this pressure from the U.S. government, and now they're convicting me and sending me back to prison. They're repeating yeah. all the same accusations that have been yeah. answered and and yeah. then the sudden release, the yeah. rush to get to an, an Air Force plane that the president sent to get us out of the country as quickly as possible before they change their mind. Exactly. And then, <laughs> then to the White House. So, a, oh my gosh. What a roller coaster. You had to fear that there are various points that you may never get out of prison, right? Well, I did think that because uh, the president of Turkey actually said, as long as I'm here, he's not getting out. As long as I'm in office, he's not going. Oh and, and, yeah. Okay, so you did, I mean, I was gonna say, the moment they said you can wait here until, or, or appeal, whatever they said, the idea of get to the airport immediately had yes. to be just like, we're ready to roll. So you were out of Turkey, and within the next day, you're at the White House. Yes. Okay, and you guys got to meet President Trump. We did. Right, so what's your, what do you think about President Trump? Well, I see he was a big supporter for you. You know, it, the, the steps he took are, are really unprecedented. Uh, no, no president before, Republican or Democrat, really has done anything like this. So. Uh, in my case, you know, kind of a hostage situation. A president doesn't get involved in that. They'll appoint someone to deal with it. But, but he was involved numerous times and eventually imposed sanctions on a NATO ally, which is the first time that's happened. Yeah. So I am just so grateful uh, that he was willing to do that. And I think of all the people praying and that prayer pouring in that I think is what put me on his heart. Absolutely, absolutely true. In your trial, your trial, and in the four times you had various contact with yeah. the court itself, did you ever have a chance to have your wit people, character witnesses, anyone speak up on your behalf? No, no, no. Uh, what, they, what? Present, they presented all of their evidence, which uh, is crazy stuff. Uh, but uh, then at the end, it I'll, became... I will just say no hard evidence, all testimony. Secret witnesses. Secret, Secret witnesses, witnesses. Prisoners who wanted... You know, some lightning of what their people situation I've never was. Met, yeah, and then know. another category of people who had been in our church, disgruntled, 
maybe didn't get a position they wanted, and they had been problem people, but here they showed up in court. But oh, no hard evidence, and that's oh, what right. he was saying. All of this was, you know, manipulated by the government. Uh, so I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, basically, did you ever get your own witness, anyone oh, by so, you to defend you? So basically, at the in the fourth session, it became clear that they were moving quickly to convict me. It was not a normal process. And what about our witnesses? What about the you know, the, the exculpatory evidence we want to provide. No, there was it's not allowed. So basically, this was my defense. You know, I talked, I asked, I said, I need to talk with my lawyer. And uh, he said, Andrew, they're not going to let you present anything. So let's just go ahead and see what happens. So my defense was three sentences. You know, I said, I love Jesus. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm an innocent man. I love Jesus. I love Turkey. That was it. <laughs> that, was, that, last that was my was defense. Nice of you. Do whatever <laughs> you're going to do. By the grace of God, we do. We feel like now we have even more invested, in a sense. You know, Turkey is the land of the New Testament. It really is, actually. And God I did it. not know to this. You said it earlier that that was yeah. Iznar was Smyrna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So do you have contact with your church members we at do. all over there? We do. Yeah, oh, good. It continues. Yeah. I, I was going to say that they had the feel... There goes our leader. I mean, so I, I'm grateful that you do. I'm not going to yeah. pry any more than that, but I'm very grateful you do. So, so now you're here in America, um, and I assume you're not going to visit Turkey anytime soon. But I do want to ask, so what, what are you doing? I mean, the lessons you learned, what are you going to do in America with all you learned about what happened in Turkey, with what you felt God was preparing you for? So the first thing is we, we, we're still focused on, on the Muslim world. You know, that's what God has put on our hearts. Uh, but while we're in the States, uh, our, our time here, I have an urgency since coming back to the States for believers here because I think there is a, a churning wave of hostility that's about to crash onto the church. And I think that many people are going to be knocked out by this because most people are not ready for the kind of pressure that's going to come. And so uh, it's very much on my heart to sound a warning and say, we need to prepare our hearts and really be aware of, I think most Americans don't think persecution can happen here. You know, we think, well, China, Korea, Iran, uh, but, and I'm not saying that that will happen here. I think it will be a different kind. I think what's coming here is more, uh, if you want to call it soft uh, persecution. It, it's, it's difficult, but it, I don't think it will be so much imprisonment and things like that, but uh, social and financial pressure that, that is very serious. And I think that's what's coming. I think that uh, increasingly those who are faithful to the teaching of the Bible are going to be called the people of hate and uh, accused of hate speech. And in our culture, uh, that's something that will lead to cancellation now because we're, they'll say, we feel unsafe around you. So you can't be in this school. You know, you can't work in this place. You, you, you have a message of hate because you're not inclusive enough. You're not loving or whatever. And uh, just, for, just for holding the truth of the Bible. And there's a preview of this. Noreen and I were just in Finland one week ago uh, there's a minister of parliament there, Paivi Rasen, and uh, so she's a well-known public figure, a politician there, and she is on trial, criminal trial, because of a tweet where she uh, was sending something to the Lutheran church, she's a part of that, saying, how can you sponsor a pride parade? How does that fit in with, you know, with uh, Romans? And she quoted some uh, verses from Romans, and she's on criminal trial now. For essentially, and, and actually for my listeners, I have tried uh, mentioned this case briefly. We're going to probably talk about it again some other time. 
but this is actual criminal prosecution for just simply quoting a, a, an official, a government official saying, here, here, you know, basically, here's what I believe the Bible teaches about marriage and questioning why a church would be pushing something in this the view of this person that doesn't is not consistent with the with the um, Bible. And so I want to go back to your point about what's going to happen in America because it, it's so profound and, and so right on. To start with, there have been, even prior to or discussing now, there's been a movement, um, or prior to this whole episode you have in Turkey, a movement to secularize the churches, to have the social justice warrior mentality replace the gospel, to have, you know, kind of this notion of do-goodism as the ultimate goal of the church versus being rooted in the scriptural, yeah. scripture's yeah. teachings. So already the church has been has been pounded down. The people trying to hold on to the scriptures are are being treated as haters or kind of old school. You know, that's colonial days. That's not America. So the church has been under assault for a while in America on all sorts of issues. Agreed? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think it's going to increase. I think that there's going to be uh, support from the uh, commanding heights of our culture, cultural institutions that kind of control messaging, that uh, uh, have the greatest influence and power in our culture, and they're going to uh, lift up a progressive church as the true church, the good church, the loving church, and paint the church that is faithful to the Bible as a church of hate. And this is going to lead to a lot of confusion in some people. Wh which church do you want to belong to? The one that uh, you know our cultural institutions are applauding? For being good and loving or the one that's full of bigots and haters <laughs> a lot of people will get confused and other people it will just be pressure where if you're if you're not lining up with the mainstream of our culture uh you can lose your job you can you know not be allowed uh well just the, just even being ostracized and and portrayed as a as a bad person <laughs> uh can be sufficient pressure to knock a lot of people out. And well, I think especially easy because now you said this next generation, what did you call it? Therapeutic? Therapeutic uh, moral, moral deism. The, the idea that what really the younger generation really believes when it comes down to it, there's a God, the main goal uh, that in life is he wants me to be happy and self-fulfilled. Uh, he wants me to do good things and be nice to people. And for those who uh, all good people go to heaven. And so this is really functionally what a lot of people in the church believe. And is that going to stand up to pressure? If the main goal is God wants me to be happy or he just wants me to be good? He's just there when I have a problem. Yeah. Yeah. That trend, and I've been using the word tyranny a lot on my show about the, the shift in our culture and how it's not just, you know, people being more firmly committed to um, left wing or I don't know what word to call it, you know, non-biblical views on all sorts of issues. They're so committed to that. And they're not just committed to saying, I, I now understand truth related to marriage and uh, and a whole host of issues, life and, and lifestyle and morality. They, they are very um, committed as that, how they see it, but they become intolerant. Anyone who doesn't is a hater, is a bigot, is a this. And so it is just a, it's a cultural phenomenon. I, and many people watching it and, and Kind of, I mean, I do think people have a sense of where the world has come from. I mean, how did America shift so quickly? It seems like the churches have shifted so quickly. So how did this all happen so fast? I think there's a, I think a lot of this is a result of, of spiritual blindness. There's a confusion that comes in when people reject God. So if we look at previous generations, I'm, you know, our country has had sins and, and things that were very wrong. 
but there were many people who sincerely were pursuing God, and especially at the leadership level of our institutions, there were many who, uh, who honored God publicly. And if you look at our, this new generation uh, and the younger generation that's rising up, that's pretty much gone. If you look at the demographics, you just see just a real drop off in people who, who believe in God, who attend a church, who have any involvement in, let's say, organized Christianity. And uh, I think when, when large numbers of people reject God, they're very confident of their reasoning ability, but th there's a spiritual aspect to a lot of this. If people go into confusion, their reason is clouded. And I just see some of the, uh, for example, with the gender ideology that's coming along. This is something that it's a wedge issue that's going to divide our country. But people are very passionate about it and uh, very committed to an ideology that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think there's a clouding of reason that comes from a rejection of God. Right. You know, it's kind of funny. I mentioned before we started, my um, grandfather was a Lutheran minister. I even remember him years ago lamenting that in, in his various congregations in Iowa, he was noticing that more people, if they had marital troubles, were turning to marriage counselors. He said, you used to come to the pastor. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was a year, I mean, this is decades mm -hmm. ago, just mm -hmm. saying the shift mm -hmm. from thinking that was your source and the secular wisdom making its way mm -hmm. in that, that mm -hmm. would that would just rob the church of what he thought was, I think he's right, was right, the rightful place in helping, especially marriage of congregants. But even then it was kind of a chipping away at the hmm. authority of hmm. truth. If you look at Germany in the 1800s, early 1900s, they were the most advanced culture in the world. You know, just in the arts, entertainment, uh, scholarship, their university system, they were the most advanced culture. And look what they brought. And so uh, I, I think people often, un don't give enough importance to the spiritual aspect of this, that when, when people reject God, your society just collapses. Right, well, you have no rooting for truth, root, like R-O-O-T, you have no roots in truth, yes. so you're just, right. you're, you're easily swayed, you know, you're easily pushed around. Okay, no, I'm, it's killing me, I'm not only distracting, I'm looking for the name <laughs> of your book. I, mean, I know you don't really want to tell it, but just yeah. tell our listeners the name of your so, book. So, God's Hostage. Okay. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Go to Amazon, God's Hostage. That's what they told me. So God's Hostage on Amazon to really know more, more about this story and understand. And I'll tell you, friends, one reason I, I wanted to have them come and talk to us is every country in the world is facing pressure from all sorts of, of um, institutions, political movements, ideology, religions, et cetera, um, that work away at uh, the culture of those countries and, and can harm them. And so in it's just one example in Turkey, just even the brief description we had of what occurred in this criminal prosecution, if you don't have what America's unique, extraordinary founding idea of the rule of law, you know, woven in the declaration, set up in the constitution, you then are, you then begin to move away from the idea of truth existing and, mm -hmm. and the pursuit of truth, because you're just kind of, anything goes today, this particular leader doesn't like this particular group, and so we can persecute them versus the rule of law, supposed to be blind justice, which is one of the most profound gifts the founders gave to America was that concept. And, and if you begin to let it, let it drift away or be or, uh, controlled by any political entity, you're losing a whole, uh, like, like one of the foundational, you know, like holds up a, a bridge over a bay, the, found, the structure of America's safety and freedom, rule of law is one of them. Uh, another one is about intolerance of religion. Obviously, in Turkey, extreme intolerance of, of other religions. But um, 
in, in America, this this working away at that's the other the last thing we're going to get to today, wrapping up. But this this idea in America, how important it is for Christians and really, I mean, other faiths too. But Christians, which uh, America was a Judeo-Christian nation founded in those ideas, to recognize the way in which all these cultural players, these cultural forces. Uh, it's academia, we talk about this all the time on the show, but it's academia and media and, and, and journalism and social media and every institution of culture is propping up this notion of modern day thinking, modern day morality and, and just a, um, a, a yanking away out of, through mockery, ridicule, derision, uh, the notion that truth exists. And, and then you end up with a church Unless you're rooted in the scriptures, you're just kind of wandering all over mm -hmm. trying to figure out truth. I want to get that pitch in for Stand Up for America. Okay, now, because that's the point of my show, Stand Up for America. So back to you all. So tell us what you're doing now. I mean, I know you want to raise this awareness. Do, do you, is your mission just to mostly stay here and try to warn America? Is that what you're... Well, there one thing on what you just said, this whole gender ideology is I can create my own truth. I can create my own reality rather than saying... God determines truth. And that's one thing that I had to learn in prison is I have to say about God what he says about himself. If God says he's faithful, then I have to say it even if I don't see it or experience it at that time. And I have to say what he says about me and what he says about other people. If God calls sin something sin, I have to say it's sin. And if he says something is good, I have to say it's good. So moving on to the question you had, uh, our, our main focus, you know, we, we believe that God wants to uh, work powerfully in the Muslim world. And here in the States, we need to get ready. And so this is really the message that we're carrying. Wake up, prepare yourself, prepare your church, prepare your family, you know, form, you know, strong relationships and small communities that are going to help you, uh, you know, in difficult times, uh, make a commitment to speak the truth, uh, not to give in to the lies of the culture, but to stand for truth, not because I think you've emphasized that we need to stand. We need to uh, resist, uh, you know, things that are wrong. And I, I like the example from, uh, from Lord of the Rings, where you have this ragtag group of, of creatures who are fighting against terrible odds. They have no chance of winning at all. But they don't resist. They don't fight because they believe they're going to win. They fight because it's right. And so it's saying we stand on God's side. We want to make sure we're standing on God's side. Not because we think that we're going to win the culture war, but because because it's the right thing to do. And God does win in the end, but I think it's in the midst of great difficulty. Yep. Yeah, know. I was just going to add in when you were saying communities, communities around the word of God. Centered on that. Pick the right friends, pick the right community, one that's honoring the word of God and committed, committed to that truth. Yep. You know, it's an interesting thing, and I'll wrap it up because I think we're about out of time, but uh, that concept of truth is one of the main victims of this, uh, well, uh, of religions that I, I do not believe spread truth, but it's really, it's a deeper thing than that. As you talk about what's happened to our society, there's a loss of the idea that truth exists yeah. at all. And so, I mean, your example in general is a perfect one. God is the creator of man, and he said man and woman, and that, that's kind of the whole story. On gender, yeah. on truth about gender, and and so, but it has become where if you even say that out loud mm -hmm. in certain circles, you're intolerant, and it be, and the use of mockery and derision, it's so easy. Okay, 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 I'll let you go on that one. But another issue, and, and then pretty soon you're just saying, well, truth, truth is whatever the culture batters me around to to admit that says. So if people want to follow your work, is there a way to follow your work to know what you're doing? Is there a website to go we to? We do or? have a web page. It's called WaveStarters.org. 
And that's the that's the name of our of our ministry, because we want to see waves of the kingdom start. <laughs> All right. Any last comments Mine from you? I was just going to say in Finland, we saw how this woman who is on trial, she presented it in such a loving, winsome way. And the, the prosecution kept saying, you're saying this and this and this. And she says, no, I'm not. No, I'm well, not. Where was it? No, I'm not. In, to, Finland. in Finland at this oh, trial. Oh, I'm going yeah, back yeah. to that where, still, where yeah. they're saying you are putting them down, putting these people down. You're not. And she said she was very, very careful in her attitude. What Noreen wants to say speech. is that, that let's make sure that we are loving, that you know, if people accuse us of being haters, that they're doing so in a, and are completely unjustified in doing so. Let's, let's make sure that we are loving even when we're speaking difficult truths. Love that. And actually that, my friends, again, that was a case in Finland, which we haven't talked very much about in the show yet, uh, but where you're actually, there's actually a prosecution over someone putting out a tweet, essentially standing up for what their understanding of their, what the Bible teaches. And that's a whole other concept of this is happening. It's this person's being prosecuted because she's told, you can't even say what you think is true. She's not forcing her will on anyone else. She's being told you can't even say what is true. And that is you know, a fundamental concept in America. We talk about freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. This idea of you're able to speak your truth uh, in America, the most you might get is critical criticism and might get isolated or might be uh, rejected. But so far in America, you're not prosecuted. But in Finland, which used to be one of the Western civilization countries, they've now decided more important not to hurt people's feelings or offend people uh, so that people who want to speak their truth are um, are, are face criminal prosecution. Andrew and Noreen, thank you for joining thank me. You. Thank you. And that my very fine friends, our little interview today with uh, Andrew and Noreen Brunson. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I, I had the great pleasure, as you saw, of meeting and talking at great length uh, with Pastor Andrew Brunson, his wife, Noreen, and they really live brave lives. The story I mentioned at the introduction of our show today about the people in Finland, just prior to coming back to America, uh, Pastor Brunson and his wife had actually flown to Finland to meet with the uh, two people being persecuted. There are their pictures are. Uh, there's uh, Pastor Brunson arriving at the airport, facing prison for his faith in Turkey. He flew to Finland to greet Pavi before she entered her trial. He brought with him a prayer, and there's also the other picture in the airport. I just want to show you that was a big deal, that th this whole prosecution in Finland's a big deal, and Pastor Brunson's involvement there is a big deal. And I want to encourage you, I, I think honestly, there, there are just stories of brave people who recognize Christian persecutions on the rise in the world, and it's time to stand up for it. So I gotta tell you, here in America, if you had told me, and I, I will say, even as I began doing this talk show, I was often asked to substitute host on another show, which is a Christian radio show. I hear people talk about Christian persecution. I, I actually had the thought, well, you know, there's really not that much of that here. Let's not get carried away. Let's not exaggerate. It's not exactly like, well, it's not like in Muslim majority countries where they might just put you to death if you are a Muslim and then you decide to convert to Christianity for the crime of apostasy, you are put to death in some Muslim countries for apostasy. You, you aren't allowed to become a Christian. So that's obvious religious persecution. But I actually had the kind of, now I don't think we ought to get too carried away talking about America, it's not that bad. But I'm getting at the point I made in the beginning about this idea of incremental submission to persecution. We have to recognize when it's happening, and instead of waiting till we get to a ridiculous situation like Finland, where a member of parliament is not permitted to tweet out a picture of a biblical verse that relates to marriage, 
that is encouraging standing up for the biblical view of marriage. And frank, frankly, listeners, I don't care what your view is on marriage. I don't think I don't care if you love what the Bible says, you don't love what it says, you think it's right, you think it's wrong. The point of this is not about whether the Bible is right or wrong on this topic. The point is we have allowed our culture to uh, collapse, to uh, fold in on itself enough that a member of parliament in Finland is not allowed to tweet out a simple picture of a biblical verse and her stance, her belief that marriage is, as the Bible says, between a man and a woman and question why the official Christian church in Finland would be supporting a gay pride parade. Whether, whatever you think about gay pride parades, this is not the point. The point is thinking about whether or not we want to have that in America. And when you recognize how bad Finland has gotten, recognize here in America. We talk in the show about the case of Coach Kennedy, the football coach in the state of Washington, who was fired from his job because he liked, after football games, to get down on his knee and say a prayer, thank God for the safety of his players, for the whatever, you know, the... the with a wonderful love and camaraderie among the team. He just did a simple prayer after the games fired. And I'm raising this point to say that the time to nip in the bud, the time to attack uh, any and to expose and to challenge any attacks on religious freedom is right when it starts. Religious freedom, once you submit, say, well, okay, we really shouldn't probably pray in public. We really shouldn't probably have public school teachers pray in public. We really shouldn't have that public school teacher wearing a cross to school. She's kind of symbolizing a state. We're allowing that continuing diminution, destruction, weakening of that fabric of America that's supposed to be committed to freedom of religion. We have many cases in this country. We've talked about on the show many times. We'll probably do it again. But I'm here to tell you the goal of Christians in America should be to recognize early on when something isn't right. Persecution, whether it is that coach in uh, the state of Washington, whether it is that cake baker uh, in Colorado who got prosecuted because he didn't want to bake a cake celebrating a, a gay marriage. His business the people getting married could go to any one of a bunch of other bakeries, but they chose his bakery, honed in on him, and hassled him because they knew he'd be someone uh, they could take to court and challenge. And they and they knew that what he believed about marriage. People who are find Christian theology and Christian teaching antithetical, upsetting, don't like it very much. They are on the warpath. They are on the. Uh, believe they have gotten to the place in American society where they can get courts and the, and the court of public opinion to side with those people who want to silence Christians, who want to punish Christian belief, who want to hold Christianity in some kind of reduced uh, category of whether they have rights to speak up for their faith. It's high time in America. It's a great thing in America that we're aware of these cases in Finland, uh, aware of what happened in Austria. And so we ourselves can be alert in America to stand up and speak up for religious freedom. And uh, God bless this Pastor Brunson and his wife uh, who fought the brave fight in the country of Turkey uh, to bring Christianity there. I'll wrap up American Could We Talk by saying this for today. I love doing this show. I love touching all of the issues that shape and mold and influence America. I love speaking up for America's unique and extraordinary greatness. I talk all the time about the importance of defending our territorial integrity and our borders and defending freedom and free markets and freedom of speech and freedom of religion and fair elections and the honest election process and the structure of America's government. 
all of those pieces, all those topics I talk about, they always, they all boil down to, they're all part of the big pot of defending America because it is a country unlike any other in world history. It's a country greatly under assault by the anti-American leftist forces in this world. And it's incumbent on each of us to stand up and speak up for America. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-